Hello, hello, kids, and welcome to another episode. I am your resident spooky drag queen, Pissy Miles. And I'm your resident spooky smartass, Sam Baxter. And, and this, this is, is my spooky, spooky gay, gay family. family. Sam Baxter. Hello, Pissy Miles. How's it going? It's going okay. <laughs> By the time this is airing, yesterday will have been really fun. Uh, w- will it? <laughs> <laughs> Are you sure? No, I'm sure that it's going to be 10 hours of me like pacing in my kitchen, but it should be fun. <clears throat> I mean, put on some music. Can pace. you like Papa Zanny or something? <laughs> Light some candles. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you have a more holistic approach, I think. Mine is more like, take the drugs. And you're like, light a candle. Play some Enya. <laughs> sit on your favorite pillow. Yeah, sit on your favorite pillow. You know, like meditating. Oh, I see what you mean. I was like, for later? I don't understand. <laughs> the smell calms me. Um... Yeah, I, I don't know if I sit on many of my favorite pillows, but I, I appreciate where you're coming from. Thank you. I don't really... Do you meditate? Um, no. I have tried to meditate. I try to meditate a lot. And you fall asleep? No, the exact opposite. My brain just goes like, oh, we have some free time to worry about shit. Let's go! <laughs> And it's like, no, I'm supposed to be blocking you out. I'm supposed to not be thinking. And it's like, yeah, or we could think about that time in third grade where that kid was really mean to you and it was kind of your fault because you did a douchey thing. I don't think that's an accurate representation of the occurrence, but I will say... (laughs) Probably not. um, Have you ever ever, uh, done it with, like, music? I've tried, but it's still, like... My my brain is too loud. Like, the only thing that has worked, honestly, is white noise. And even then, that's hit or miss. You know what I'll send you? I'll send you a recording. It's one of my favorite... Um, it's one of my favorite recordings. It is by a person whose name I know, but do not know how to pronounce. Okay. Um, but it's a it's like a Ramadasa. And it's uh, it's very repetitive, very soothing, um, and I tend to use that. Okay. On the few occasions that I I get a chance to to meditate, since I was so busy that I didn't even get the mini soda out on time this week, um, I do have a tendency to turn that on, and I'll send it to you. The person's name is S N A T. A M. Okay. And I don't remember how to spell their last name. It's like, but I, I'm not going to try to pronounce it because it's going to be a bastardization of some poor person's name. But um, it's just a Ramadasa, which is like 
kind of a, a relax and let it go type of meditation. Um, but I'll send it to you. It's literally like, I think it's like seven minutes or 10 minutes of just this like repetitive, relaxing uh, kind of yogi music, I think. It's like okay. new age. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I do, I do find it to be very helpful. Um, I have not had a chance to meditate in a while, though. Do you like meditating when when you when it works? When it works, um, I'm not sure because it's it's my understanding that in order for meditation to really have like a good effect on you, you have to practice it regularly. So, mm. like the once every six months that I try. Hmm. It's like probably not going to do much for me, even if I manage to do it. Yeah. Well, maybe that's the key then. Even if you can't quiet your mind, maybe the key is like try every day. Yeah. It's like eating donuts. Like <laughs> you have to eat a donut every day. And then eventually you'll build up a tolerance. <laughs> I think it's actually the opposite of that. That's true. I'm going to go with mine. Okay. <laughs> that's fair. We're going to build a tolerance for you. We're going okay. to we're going to we're going to make donuts happen for you. Okay. Um, what else is new? What's going on in your life? Not a whole heck of a lot. Um, I'm querying one book and I'm starting a new one. So. It's a lot of me sitting there staring at my computer and hating my life. <laughs> and then reminding myself that I chose this and I love it. That's always the, that's the rub. It's like, because not only then do you have to have your nose kind of squished in your own puddle, but yeah. it's like, it's like you chose this and on top of it, you have to like it now because you chose it. I mean, the thing is like, I do love it. Like, I'm not. I'm not one of those people who like when I have to write today. Mm -hmm. It's more it's more the constant rejection letters. <laughs> yeah, that never like, really gets easier, unfortunately. Because no. I get a lot of rejection letters myself. Um although I did get the opposite of a rejection letter this week. I found out that I will be opening for Kim Petrus. At the Stone Pony in Asbury Park, which is very exciting. It is. Uh, you can find tickets on my Facebook. Go check it out. Uh, I'm opening for Kim Petrus at Asbury Pride in October. It's October 9th. I believe that's a Saturday. Uh, and it's going to be a lot of fun. So go check it out. Get tickets. Ding. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I definitely I feel that. Because for all the times something like that does happen... There were like a million self-taped auditions and queries yeah. and things that you sent in that didn't come to fruition. That's the thing I think social media has been. It's so good for like advertising yourself because you can make yourself look very impressive, mm -hmm. but it warps the perception of your work a lot because it makes you think that like, oh, this person is always having good things happen to them because they're always posting about good things. And it's like, well, no, I'm only posting about the good things. I'm not posting about all the shitty things that happened. So, <laughs> <laughs> See, I'm the opposite. And if you follow my Twitter, you would know that. It's that kind of like, woke up to a rejection this morning. <laughs> like, 
like fell down the stairs. Well, maybe maybe <laughs> then your your mantra this week or your your uh your practice this week should mm-hmm. be every time you write something bad, you have to write something good too. <laughs> that's your that's your social media practice for the week. Okay. And that's how we're going to get you to meditation. Okay. <laughs> We're going to every time you want to write something bad, you write something good. And then by the end of the week, you will be a yoga master. (laughs) You'll be doing downward facing dog and standing on your head and spitting nickels. I don't know what you do in (laughs) yoga, but that's what you'll be doing. You'll be laying golden eggs and then you won't need to be a writer. You can just sell your eggs. I mean, that is an option. They're not golden, and it's apparently a very painful process. (laughs) You know, I bet they'd go for a lot of money. And you're not using them. I mean, I guess that's true. You might as well sell a few. It'll be painful, but you only have to do it, what, twice? I don't know. Just get the Hoover. (laughs) (laughs) And take them on out. Yeah. You could get a new house. I bet I can I don't have anything nearly as valuable. I could sell a kidney, I suppose, but that's <laughs> that's a lot less entertaining than eggs. And my kidneys certainly aren't gold. I'm diabetic. God knows if they're even functioning anymore. <laughs> they're just in there. They're like, "Are we done yet?" <laughs> uh, yeah, anyway. I don't know. But anyway, um, yeah, the, the, it's been a crazy it's been a crazy week. I'm very excited. Last week obviously was a lot of fun. We got to interview Jackie Beat, which was t- just a, a a delight. A delight. Jackie is one of my favorite people in the world, so we're so glad that she would join us. Uh and then this week I actually had a really wonderful experience. I got to see a movie that I had heard about that I had never seen before. It was called Blood Red Sky. Have you heard of it? Um, I mean, I have, but only because you texted me about it. Well, yeah, I texted you about it, but you, <laughs> you didn't know about it before. No, I hadn't heard of it before. Did you end up watching it? I haven't watched it yet, no. Oh, it is, in my opinion, a really good movie. Okay. The basic premise is that a boy and his mother are on a plane uh, from Germany to the United States, and uh, it's a German movie. It is made in Germany. Although you'd almost never know it because we originally started watching it with the dubbed voices, which I do not recommend. Yeah, no, dubbing always sucks. The the kid doing the voice for the little boy was like Nickelodeon on steroids farting sunshine. Like it was like <laughs> just like every line would be like, hey, wanna see a wanna see a trick? Hey, can I sit in this seat? You look like a really nice man. And I was, I was like, I don't care for John Wayne Gacy. <laughs> but if he had taken you Oh no <laughs> He'd be a little more sympathetic. Um yeah, I did not care for that actor. So we turned the um we turned the dubbing off and watched it with subtitles mm-hmm. and it actually helped quite a bit because I would say maybe maybe half the movie is in German, maybe like a okay. third of the movie is in German. The rest is in English. I don't know why. 
Okay. But they're like speaking English. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, so why did we need the dubbing? We could have just put subtitles for the six lines in this movie that are in German. <laughs> but uh, it was really, really good. The The boy and his mother are on this plane bound for America when the plane is hijacked. And it comes to light that the mother's illness that she's going to have treated in America is not what you think it is. Okay. And I, that's all I'm going to say. I don't want to give anything away. Um, it is a really, really good movie. It's a really good movie. I enjoyed it a lot. David enjoyed it a lot. Uh, the performances by the actors who are not just lending their voices are very good. Um <laughs> I really enjoyed it. We watched it on Netflix, I think. I can't remember. It's on one of the streaming services. I believe it's Netflix. And it is really, really good. Uh, As far as it being a horror movie, it is certainly gory. Okay. But surprisingly, I would call it more of a thriller. All right. That's fair. And I want to compare it between two movies, but I <laughs> but it would, it, it would give away. it away. Okay. So I'm just going to say one of the movies I would compare it to is that movie with uh, Jodie Foster when she thinks her kid has been abducted on the plane. Oh. Um, it's like Red Eye or something. Yeah. I think uh, it's. Yeah. That's one of the movies. Okay. I won't tell you what the other one is. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um. Yeah, but I definitely recommend it. If you haven't seen it, you should absolutely 100,000% go watch it because I really enjoyed it. Have you watched any movies recently? No, I'm actually looking forward to hopefully seeing a movie. I might actually go to the theater for this one. Really? Yeah, no, I really want to see The Green Knight. Oh, I don't know anything about it. What is it? Um, It's Dev Patel. It's a fantasy hmm. movie. Um, but and it's- So it's about an actual knight? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, no. <laughs> I an thought actual, you know an actual facts night because sometimes they throw the word night in there liberally. You know, yeah, you get the dark night, yeah. and it's like this was not a night. No, <laughs> this was a man. This is a Batman. No, it's he's um... made of bats. This man is made of bats. I feel deceived. I feel like I've been tricked. I was fooled into going to see a movie about knights, and David brought me to a comic book movie, and I have been fooled. <laughs> But yeah, no, um, based off of the trailer, what it looks like is he duels somebody. I don't know. (laughs) The the trailer isn't especially effusive with the details. But, um, you know, he cuts this guy's head off and then the the guy's like, okay, I'll see you in five years and picks up his head and walks away. So then five years later, he has to go get this guy. Yeah, it's a supernatural fantasy movie. Huh. But the trailer looked really cool. I really liked Dev Fattel. So I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Hopefully I'll be able to go to the theater to see it. I mean, I'll give it a shot if uh if you want company. Okay. I'll, I'll I like night movies. Some of them. <laughs> <laughs> Some more than others, I would definitely say. Uh I have you I have a question for you. Okay. I started a book this week. Okay. Um and hated it. And oh, I was nice. curious <laughs> if you had ever heard of it. Okay. It is an audiobook that I got for free on Audible. 
Mm-hmm. And it's called The Haunted by Bentley Little. I have not heard of that one, no. It is about, and this is, for a ghost story, it is very unusual. A family buys a house looking to get out of a bad neighborhood, moves into the house, mm-hmm. and it turns out that the house has a ghostly inhabitant. Okay. That's that's the unique part of it. That's the very unique part about okay. this story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and surprisingly graphic sex scenes between the parents. Okay. Yeah, I started listening to it and I've listened to Hold on, I can tell you exactly how long I've listened to. I started listening to this book quite a while ago. I mean, I'm 7 hours and 4 Oh no, I have 7 hours and 42 minutes left. Uh of like 10 hours, I think, or Why something like that. Why have you like listened that. to 3 hours of it if you hate it this much? Because you know for the same reason I listened to anything to the end. It's like I remember when um Running with Scissors came out, mm-hmm. that book by Augustine Burroughs. Everyone looked at me and they were like, oh my God, you would love this book. If you like David Sedaris, you will love this book. You will love this book. You will love this book. So much like David Sedaris. And I, David Sedaris is my favorite author of mm-hmm. all time. And so I was like, okay, I'll give it a shot. And I would read a chapter and I'd be like, well, that didn't remind me of David Sedaris, but maybe if I read the next one, it will. And so I'd read the next one, and I was like, well, that one didn't... And it's like, then you get to the end of the book, and you're like, what the fuck were you on when you thought this, A, reminded you of David Sedaris, and B, that I would even like it, because it was (laughs) fucking garbage. Everyone loved Running With Scissors, and I hated it. Did you read it? I didn't, know. You're better off because this book was such depressing bullshit. It's like this. It's just like statutory rape wrapped in like psychotic manipulation wrapped in like abuse. It's just nonsense. The whole book is nonsense. And I did not like it. I do not like it. Uh, I would not read it in a house. I would not read it with a mouse. But I will say that uh, this book, I had the good sense to stop reading before I finished the last seven and a half hours. Okay. So I did give it a rest. Uh, It also, it's like, it's a surprisingly slow burn. Yeah. And it's not without its merits, I suppose, but... I just find it to be so difficult to find a good horror book. Yeah, no, it's not it's not easy. I have hopes for um for one that I bought the other day and of course now I can't remember the fucking title because I was thinking about it. I just bought one that I'm looking forward to reading or well listening to, I should say. Uh it's called Wonderland. Okay. By Zohe Stage. Zohe Stage, I'm assuming is how you pronounce it. Um, It was, I, after I read or started reading The Haunted and wanted to fucking shoot somebody, uh, I was like, let me go on every like list of audiobooks online and see what's the like most recommended horror audiobook. And this was like top of the list on almost every list. So I I got that one and I'm looking forward to giving (laughs) it a shot. To be fair... The Haunted was, like, one of those books that's, like, free on Audible. Okay. 
So I'm sure that that played a part. But probably. I don't know. Did you find the book you were? Uh, yes, it's called Plain Bad Heroines. Oh, I had, that one came up as well. Um, I'm hoping that it's good. I haven't started reading it yet, but based off the ju- dust jacket, I think I'm really going to like it. It's essentially it it's essentially a slasher movie as a book. Huh. Maybe I should try that. <laughs> I just used my last credit. So um, maybe I should try that one. I wonder if it's expensive. I don't know. How'd you get it? Do you have Audible? No, I bought the hardcover. Oh, you bought the book book. Yeah, I bought the book. You're like a person who reads books. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I am. I'm a person who likes to listen to them told to me. That's why it's like uh, somebody posted just the other day. Uh, they were like, oh, my, oh, Molly Shannon mm-hmm. is releasing a memoir. Oh. And I was like, oh, how exciting. I would love to read this book. But- you know me, I don't have a lot of time to sit down and read. So a lot of the time what I do is I listen to my books during my commute because my commute is at least an hour in any direction. So I'll turn on the audiobook and I was like, who would not want to hear Molly Shannon read her own memoir? Uh, and so the the book was just announced. I'm very excited for when it comes out, but I'm sure that once it comes out, I'm going to have to wait for the audiobook. Probably. So that is that's definitely on my list. I you know, I would love to start like a my spooky gay family book club <laughs> where we all just like recommend books to each other because it's so hard to find good horror books. I'm really interested in the plain heroines. Uh maybe I'll have to look that up when yeah, no, we're done. It was it sounded really cool, like cool enough that I bought it in hardcover, which is not mm. a thing that I do often. Where did you buy it online? Barnes and Noble. Oh, you went to Barnes and yes, Noble. Yes, I went to a Barnes and Noble because that's my happy place. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> is there a horror section of Barnes and Noble? Yeah. Maybe I'll go and look. Yeah, no, you should. What an idea. <laughs> Leaving the house. <laughs> Going to a store. Holding books. <laughs> this is unheard of. Um, yeah, I should, I should definitely do that. That's definitely on the list. Uh, but anyway, we, (laughs) we did not come here today to discuss horror books. Although I wouldn't be mad if we did one day. I wouldn't either. We should do a horror books episode. I think we should. We're just spitballing here. Yeah. Um, we came here today to discuss our topic of the week, which is a pretty heavy one. It's yeah, it's it's up there. It's up there. I wouldn't say it's as heavy as like a Richard Ramirez or even a John Wayne Gacy, if I'm being honest. But um, this one definitely is a bit dark. So be forewarned going in that there is going to be this is a true story. And there is going to be some some crazy details. So uh, today we are doing another serial killer episode. We are going to be diving into the one and only, the elusive... For Golden some reason. S- for some reason. Who the <laughs> fuck knows why? <laughs> I don't know. Is this a clue? No, that's your foot, Jim. Go back to bed. <laughs> Golden State Killer. We are jumping into GSK today. Uh, courtesy of Michelle McNamara. <laughs> <laughs> 
And we are going to uh, dissect another serial killer. As always, when we jump into true crime, please be forewarned that some listeners may find this to be a bit disturbing and may even be upset by it. So be forewarned going in. Some podcasters maybe as well. Yeah. (laughs) Sam needs to stop halfway through for a cup of tea and a biscuit. I have to go to Barnes & Noble for a minute. (laughs) She's like, I need to hold my books. All right, Sam Baxter, uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about the Golden State Killer? Okay. Sorry, I've got, like, something in my throat now because it's my turn to talk. (laughs) Excuse me. Okay, so the Golden State Killer was identified as Joseph James D'Angelo Jr. in 2018. Which, by the way... I know. (laughs) I want to point out... I'm not going to reveal any of my personal information. No. But my legal name is so close to that name yes. that when they announced it, I was like, what did I do? I was like, <laughs> I was like, what? I don't, I don't have any recollection. And then I reread it and was like, oh. But I was like, of course. Of course, like, the guy with basically my name couldn't be, like, saving children from... <laughs> I don't know, like, fucking warlords. He had to be <laughs> killing prostitutes. I was like, of fucking course. He actually didn't do that. He's one of the few that did. <laughs> I thought he killed sex workers. Uh, nope. Who am I thinking of? Green River Killer? I think you're thinking of Green River Killer. I always mix them up. <laughs> Every damn time. Every damn time. Oh, uh, well, whatever. Whoever he <laughs> killed, it still wasn't saving children no, from warlords. he wasn't saving warlords children from warlords. Or, or, or ending apartheid. Or <laughs> <laughs> All right, I'll let you go back. What's his name again? Joseph, uh, Joseph James D'Angelo. Oh, Junior. Him. Junior. Excuse yes. the shit out of me. Uh, he was identified as the Golden State Killer in 2018. He was 72 years old at the time. <laughs> We'll get to that. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Apart from the Golden State Killer, he also had several other names during his illustrious career, including the Visalia Ransacker, the Diamond Knot Killer, the East Area Rapist, the Night Stalker, East Side Rapist, the Original Night Stalker, and the East Bay Rapist. Well, I thought Original Night Stalker was Richard Ramirez. Apparently not, because he comes first. So they called him the Night Stalker. Then Richard Ramirez came along. They called him the Night Stalker. Oh, so and now then, then he's known as the original Night Stalker. The original. The OG. That's what they put on his LP. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the original Night Stalker. The original Night. He's like Nicki Minaj, and Richard <laughs> Ramirez is like Cardi B. <laughs> Richard Ramirez is like coronavirus. Coronavirus. <laughs> He probably would. He was a fucking nut job. He was crazy as a bag of cats. <laughs> not that he's leaps and bounds ahead of Joseph D'Angelo, no, but let's we'll get all. to it. Okay, so brief biographical information. He was born in 1945. His father was a sergeant in the U.S. Army, so his family moved around a lot. Mm-hmm. There are some claims that his father abused him as a child. I'm saying claims because I don't fucking care if it happened or not. Yeah, I, I don't know why this is such a... Uh, I guess... To a certain extent, it's like, don't we want to understand why people end up doing these things? 
to prevent them in the future? Yes. But do I feel bad for him that he was abused by his father? Absolutely not. I wish his father went a little harder, if I'm being honest. <laughs> like, like you, you could have you could have been a little more yeah. vicious, Joseph. <laughs> Joseph the Senior, first. Yeah. He was the OG. The OG. Joseph, Joseph D'Angelo. Damn it, Kevin, don't text me right now. <laughs> <laughs> Can't you see I'm reading my phone? I'm trying to read something on here. Um, blah, 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 blah. Okay, so when he was a teenager, he began committing burglaries as well as torturing and killing animals, you know, like you do. Mm -hmm. After high school, he joined the U.S. Navy and served 22 months in Vietnam. After he left the service in 1968, he began his education to become a police officer, obtaining both an associate's degree and a bachelor's degree in policing-related fields. And you know what? Prime example. (laughs) All you Blue Lives Matter people. This is what you get. Oh, you get Joseph James D'Angelo Jr., the third, the OG. <laughs> he also took postgraduate courses along with the required reeks, weeks, not reeks. Reeks. Oh, <laughs> required reeks God. of representation. <laughs> the required weeks of training to become a cop. Mm-hmm. But d- did he become one? Yes, he did. In 1973, he became a police officer in Exeter, California, the same year he began the first of his three distinct crime sprees as the Vesalia Ransacker. So keep in mind, he was already a cop when he started doing this shit. From 1973 to 1976, he was responsible for one murder, the shooting of Claude Snelling in 1975, and 120 burglaries, which is a shit ton of burglaries. That's a lot. So during the burglaries, he had a tendency to ignore high value items, instead taking piggy banks, coins and other small mid-level valuables. He also stole six weapons with ammunition. He earned his nickname for ransacking the house, leaving it in disarray. Particularly female undergarments would be found strewn about the home. You know, to be fair to Joseph James DeAngelis or D'Angelo <laughs> or whatever the fuck his name is. Yeah. If anyone re- went through my home, uh-huh. they would also find women's <laughs> undergarments strewn about the place. So let's not make assumptions. Okay. Maybe he was just... Maybe he found it that way? Yeah. Maybe he was just really entertained by drag queens, almost to uh, a psychotic degree. Okay. So on September 11th, 1975, he attempted to kidnap the 16-year-old daughter of Claude Snelling. When Mr. Snelling awoke to find the kidnapping in progress, D'Angelo shot him twice and fled the scene. Jesus. So that's the one murder that he committed during that time period. During that time period, yes. In 1976, he moved to Sacramento and took a position with the Auburn, California Police Department. So still a cop. Note that. (laughs) From 1976 to 1979, he would be primarily known as the East Area Rapist. He initially targeted single women in one-story homes, being sure to have an easy escape route. He was nearly caught several times anyway. Most victims had been thoroughly reconned before his attacks, receiving obscene phone calls to break-ins in their homes. You know, there's something about that mentality of these people that, like, obviously it's... so much of what entices them and and what motivates them is the game of it. Yeah. And I understand that that's why they do weird things like sending letters and f- breathing into the phone and all that all that weird shit that your principal probably does. But um 
if you're listening if you're listening principal it's you um i i just like i understand that that's the motivation and i understand I, like the pieces make sense but i don't understand why i don't understand why that's a draw for people i think it's the control like i think all of this comes down to control and we'll we'll probably talk about this a bit later as well hmm. like particularly when you're talking about sexual assault it's about control yeah i know that so like i think the obscene phone calls the taunting letters the things like that it's about feeling in control mm-hmm. i mean and and that's fair i was listening to oh i also recently listened to the audiobook of uh robert graysmith's the zodiac okay or zodiac or whatever the fuck it's called and that was obviously a big thing for him, too. And there are a surprising number of connections between uh, the Golden, Golden State, State Killer and the Zodiac. But I will say that it almost makes it, like, worse that so many more times it seems like the people who practice this especially for some reason in california tend yeah. to get away with it <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think some of it is just it's such a big state i mean like, i guess like if you move around consistently like it's such a big state like I relatively mean, easy to hide in yes but on the same token it's like well you don't you're not confined by state if you commit a murder in new jersey you could move to georgia yeah know. you know and that's about the same as moving from vallejo to san francisco or whatever I, i'm really not trying to turn this into a zodiac episode but <laughs> i'm but i'm warning you it's going to happen <laughs> <laughs> okay you ready i'm ready okay <laughs> Eventually, however, his M.O. changed. He looked for couples. He would have the woman tie the man up before he bound her. Then he would assault her, often repeatedly. Attacks could last for hours as he ransacked the house, ate their food, drank beer, and made threats. Mm. Victims sometimes thought he'd left the house well before he had. He often took trophies. He is thought to have committed over 50 of these crimes during the time period between June 1976 and July 1979. Victim statements at his trial for people assaulted during this time almost all allude to the fact that police simply didn't take the rapes that seriously. One woman even saying that she was treated more like a suspect than a victim. Hmm. So there's that. Yay, the 70s. <laughs> yeah, the 70s really weren't a great time to be uh, basically anyone but a white man. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> uh, he also shot and killed a couple who were walking their dog and presumably bumped into him on the street they ran but he chased them down and shot them both to death in February 1978 so that's his second and third murder I mean I I I have had some momentary lapses in my temper but I have never <laughs> shot anyone I think that that's a bit extreme. I think, and like, this is not, this is my, this is me speculating completely. I think they probably bumped into him on his way away from one of these attacks. And he and was he concerned. was that, concerned that they had seen him. Yeah. That sounds a little more. 
because he chased them down. Like, if it was just they bumped into him and he was trying to get away, like, there's no reason to chase them down. I mean, yes, but also, like, we do know that he is motivated by control. And I don't think it's unreasonable to think that he could have done it just for the joy of doing it. But I think you're probably right that it probably had some other motivation in terms of him not wanting them to make him. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> he communicated with the police and newspapers during this time, notably sending a truly awful poem to the Sacramento Bee in 1977. He also routinely... We don't have a copy of that we poem. Do we do not have the copy of the poem, no. <laughs> Is there a copy of the poem? I'm sure that you can find it somewhere. Please hold. <laughs> <laughs> I have read the poem. It's on Wikipedia. So if you want to find it, it's on. It's on Wikipedia? Yes. Hold on. If you Wikipedia the Golden State Killer, you can find the poem. Listen, we're going to fast track this. We're going (laughs) to. We're going to open mic night this. Excitement's Crave. Is that it? Yeah. (laughs) The first thing that pops up on Google, if you search golden state killer poem is a reddit thread called excitement's crave is a terrible poem (laughs) i mean it's true we have an a line by line analysis (laughs) which i think probably takes up literary criticism that's that's great hold on excitement's crave um again the first thing that pops up is excitement's crave is a terrible poem (laughs) how has no one published this fucking poem (laughs) i told you it was on wikipedia just go to wikipedia oh i found it okay (laughs) oh this is longer than i was expecting yeah i was expecting like a limerick no he He didn't write a haiku no i can't can't, write a golden state killer haiku what a fucking douche. <laughs> yeah, I have read the poem. The poem is a terrible poem. <clears throat> All those mortals surviving birth, which is everyone who's still a mortal, <clears throat> upon facing maturity, take inventory of their worth to prevailing society. Choosing values becomes a task. oneself must... S- att- That's weird wording. Choosing values becomes a task. Semicolon. Oneself must seek satisfaction. I don't think he was an English major. (laughs) The selected route will unmask character when plans take action. Accepting some work to perform at fixed pay but promise for more is a recognized social norm. As is decorum seeking lore. Achieving while others lifting should be cause for deserving fame. Leisure tempts excitement seeking. Leisure tempts excitement seeking. What's right and expected seems tame. Jesse James has been seen by all and Son of Sam has an author. Others now feel temptations call. Sacramento should make an offer. Oh, now we're rhyming. To make a movie (laughs) of my life. That will pay for my planned exile. Just now I'd like to take I'd like to add the wife of a mafia lord to my file. Your East Area rapist and deserving pest. See you in the press or on TV. 
Yeah, that's a really bad poem. Yeah, it's not a good poem. Like, way too wordy, but doesn't really make sense. Yeah, no, it's... I, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and critique it like we're in a workshop, but... I mean, I've got a red ob- pen. It's just objectively bad. <laughs> objectively bad. Just- not, like, not particularly grabbing, if no, I'm being honest. Not riveting. Doesn't speak to me. You can tell he's a cop. A little bit. Kind of stupid. <laughs> chunky writing. Oh, no. I don't know. <laughs> it's fine. <laughs> Sounds like, oh, Glenn, please. <laughs> Stop her! <laughs> Glenn's just up there going, what? The poem was terrible. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> Is that Glenn's voice? I like to think of him as like a miniature Merlin <laughs> from Sword in the Stone. He does kind of have a little beard, doesn't Mad he? Mad dumb! <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. But anyway. But anyway. <laughs> Uh, he also routinely taunted both the police and his victims with phone calls during this time period. He called the police. He called the police. He called the police on two separate occasions, telling them that he would attack that night, and he did. In one <laughs> instance, he gave the street name, and the cops actually showed up. They chased a masked man on a bicycle and then on foot, but lost him. He called several of his previous victims to taunt and frighten them as well, including his first victim, who I believe he called to say Merry Christmas to. Wasn't that I mean, nice? If I was gonna get a call, yeah, I'd want it to be that. Yeah, I mean, of all of them, but yeah, of all of them, but yeah, no. So they they saw him. Yes, and I'm if I'm not mistaken, got into a shootout. If um, I remember correctly, I didn't read anything about gunplay. I know at some point there was a shootout because he had a gun, and. There were, like, shots exchanged. I don't know if it's this specific instance. It's been a while since I've watched I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Yeah. And since I've really listened to a lot of the lore. Not lore, but uh, a -hmm. lot of the facts regarding this case. Um, I do know at some point he did get into a shootout with one of the police officers. Okay. And if I'm not mistaken, it was the night they chased him on his bike. Okay. And it's like... What the fuck are you doing? <laughs> what the fuck are you doing? You had one job and you're in a Chevy. I'm guessing your Chevy goes faster than a tricycle. <laughs> like he's chasing a fucking rug rat. Like, come on. If it was Tommy Pickles, I'd be like, you should have caught him. I swear to God. I, and, and, and they swear they did nothing wrong yeah no you want to hear you want to hear something else (laughs) (laughs) i'm not sure in 1979 he was fired from the auburn police department good for them Mm -hmm. for shoplifting the following a hammer and some dog repellent i'm gonna say that again a hammer and some dog repellent i didn't know dog repellent was a thing apparently it is and why would you need that? <laughs> like, unless you might be breaking into someone's home, well, why would you need dog repellent? Yeah. It kind of it kind of reads a little bit like Sheriff Brackett was on top yeah, of this one. It's just some kids. It's just some kids. You All know, they stole knives, was a Halloween explosives. mask, some rope, and some knives, <laughs> a gun, and a, and a list of everyone's names and addresses in town. <laughs> That's all they took. Sheriff Brackett. <laughs> 
maybe we follow up on this one. <laughs> Annie would like you to. Yeah, Annie would have appreciated it a little more. Ah, all he took was my home address and then a schedule that I'll be home. Um, so later that year, that would be 1979, he moved to Southern California and graduated to killing his victims. Mm. He botched his first attack in November. Do we know where in Southern California? (sighs) No, I would have to look it up again. Mm. Um, he botched his first attack in October of 1979 when a neighbor, an FBI agent, heard the commotion and pursued him. He got away. Again. Later that like, year, <laughs> uh, who could this guy be? Uh, uh, like, is he is he a, a fucking beast? Is he the Mothman? Does he have <laughs> wings? How does he keep? He got away from a cop in a car and an FBI agent. Yeah, this yeah. is ridiculous. And this is also in addition to like when he was in Northern California. I didn't put this in the outline because it seemed kind of trivial but like he was almost caught more than once like people chased him down the street more than once so if nothing else he was very fast (laughs) he must have been very fast what do you have wheelies i don't understand this is nonsensical cops in the 70s were just they must have just been the fattest fucks how could you possibly like they don't take anything else that seriously besides shooting and killing things. How could you possibly not have killed this guy? You would think. Or at least like go for a run. When you <laughs> noticed he got out when he when he ran when he outran a Chevy Impala the first time, maybe somebody should have been like, "Hey, maybe the whole force needs to spend 15 minutes on the treadmill today to make sure that this motherfucker doesn't take off when he spreads his fucking wings." <laughs> This is the most ridiculous. He just drank a nonsense. lot of Red Bull. I wish I had. <laughs> oh, you said you, he yeah, just drank he just a lot drank of Red Bull. Lot of Red Bull. Well, because you know Red Bull gives you wings. Uh, that, was, that was the joke. I it was a bad that. joke, but it was it's there. not bad. I just I I missed it. It's okay. It's fine. <laughs> so, <laughs> just hurts me deep inside myself. <laughs> I just have a pain that will never go away. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> This is the okay. darkness in my soul. So after the FBI agent, <laughs> later that year, he killed a couple that he attacked in their home, much the same way he had committed the rapes. He would have the woman tie the man up and mm-hmm. then assault her. Didn't he used to, and may, I, maybe this is coming and I apologize if I okay. if I ruin it. He used to put like glass dishes on yeah, top of the male victim. Plates on top of them. So if they moved, the plates would make a noise. And, and he, he would know. Yeah. 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 It, it like... The level of sadism and, like, just psychopathy is just insane. Yeah, no, he was... He is a real sack of shit. Still alive. Write him a letter. Tell him how much you fucking hate him. Yeah, he's in Corcoran, California. You can write to him courtesy of the prison there. (laughs) Tell him what you think. He's probably got, like, 180-year-old women writing him love letters every week. Yeah, yeah, write him one that's not nice. Yeah, seriously. Be like, your toe fungus smells even in New Jersey. <laughs> you fat bastard. <laughs> your neck looks like a vagina. Go fuck yourself. <laughs> right in the neck. 
Maybe that'll be. I, I have a day off tomorrow, and I have to take my car to get service. Maybe that's what I'll do while I'm waiting for my car. You'll write him a I'll just write a letter to the Golden State Killer <laughs> to tell him what a fat neck he's got. <laughs> In 1980, he committed four murders, both couples. Around this time, he got named the Diamond Knot Killer for the unusual Nazis to tie up his victims. Mm. He committed three murders in 1981, one couple and one single woman. Then he went dormant for five years, finally committing one single murder in 1986, 18-year-old Janelle Cruz. He disappeared after that. No more crimes. Which is insane. It really is. Like, it's... The only other killer that I know of that went dormant for that long was BTK. Well, and technically Zodiac. Yeah, well, Zodiac <clears throat> quit cold turkey or went to prison. We're not sure. Yeah, we're not sure where, where she is these days. <laughs> <laughs> or possibly died. We have no idea. <laughs> Could have been a 90-year-old man for all we Maybe know. Maybe <laughs> he also just, like, sprouted wings and launched himself into the ether. We Nobody knows. Because apparently the cops in California wake up every morning, do G, and go to bed. I don't know what they did between 1960 and 2012. Every cop in California woke up in the morning, banged their head against a wall until they passed out, and did the same the next day. I mean, to be utterly fair, a big part of the reason he didn't get caught was the fact that he moved around. They weren't sure they were dealing with the same person. It wasn't until much, much later in 2001 through DNA testing, police finally linked the three crime sprees to one person. Mm -hmm. So it took them quite a while (laughs) to realize it was the same person. It's one man doing the same thing every time. I would have thought that the the similar MO probably would have clicked something. But again, they were very far apart, I guess. Like the police I op- mean, they work. connected the Zodiac from Vallejo to San Francisco in yeah. the 60s. Yeah. Or I'm sorry, I guess at that point it was the 70s. But it's like, come on, guys. Pick up the fucking phone. <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, I agree. <laughs> then in 2018, cops uploaded DNA from a rape kit to GED Match, a genealogy website of voluntarily given samples. You know, like 23andMe. Yeah. 20 of D'Angelo's distant relatives had used the site and were identified as family members of the killer. And ain't that a bitch? Do you think he was saying they're like, son, <laughs> son of, of a, a bitch? <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, dad, who is super paranoid about this, is apparently completely right. <laughs> He's like, vindication. You'll never. Dad's the Zodiac. <laughs> It's like, ain't gonna catch me like that. Not gonna get, <laughs> you're not gonna get my ass on 23andMe. I'm 65 and tired. So, <laughs> 20 of D'Angelo's distant relatives had used the site and were identified as family members of the killer. The cops drew up an extensive family tree based on this and systematically excluded suspects until they were left with one guy who fit the profile, a former cop who lived in all the cities hit and his younger photos even looked like the sketches. <laughs> Shocking. Fucking crazy. It's one of those things that it's like they systematically excluded suspects. It's like, how did you not just look at this guy go, oh, he lived in all three cities where this happened. And look, his his fucking <laughs> high school photo looks exactly the same as the fucking sketch. Well, that's like, why I get mad when it's like there were so many sketches of like, like not to go back to this, but I did just read the book. The Zodiac. It's like how many fucking sketches and 
People even said that one woman, what's her name with the baby? Barbara something. Uh, I can't remember her name. I don't remember. But the one that jumped out of the car. Yeah. Uh, she looked, she saw the sketch behind the cop and was like, that's the guy. And it's like, yeah. nobody saw these sketches and went, hey, that looks a lot like Tim from accounting. Like, no, does everyone just put their fucking sunglasses on at work? Every, everyone works in the bird box? I don't understand. The thing, the thing that drives me crazy is in for most of his crime spree, he was a fucking cop. I so know. like. granted he's not doing it in the towns where he lived but at the same time like wouldn't you think someone would be like hey i think i saw that guy at the barbecue or like walking from the copier with it in (laughs) your hands like hey joe huh (laughs) this looks a lot like that guy at dunkin donuts i saw this morning (laughs) and joe's like okay bye (laughs) Where are you going to grow a mustache? Bye. <laughs> Every cop in California is like, smell my fingers. And you're like, shut up, doofy. Oh, God. Um, <laughs> I was going to say something, and now I can't. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you it's off. Fine. You no, were talking going. about 23 and me. Yeah, okay. Former cop who lived at the sites, cities, all his younger photos even looked like the sketches. After staking out D'Angelo's house for several weeks, they were finally able to obtain a used tissue, which they sent for DNA testing. When the match came back, they arrested D'Angelo on April 24th, 2018. He was initially charged with eight counts of first degree murder with special circumstances, which is kind of like aggravated circumstances. Mm -hmm. He sort of confessed, blaming it all on someone named Jerry. Because all of a sudden he has an imaginary friend. As you do. (laughs) As you do when you've been caught for killing 13 people. To be fair, I I wouldn't imagine that's terribly uncommon. I wouldn't imagine it is either. But the point is, Jerry isn't real. (laughs) (laughs) He was finally charged with 13 counts of murder and 13 counts of kidnapping. He could not be tried for the rapes or burglaries as the statute of limitations had run out. The fact that there is a statute of limitations on rape is like... Is a source of never-ending frustration for everyone. Because for everyone. <laughs> it's like, it's a violent crime. Yeah. Like, there's no reason for it to have a statute of limitations. Yeah, I don't really understand. I suppose it comes from the, like, antiquated and outdated kind of misogynistic view that, like, well, there's no way to prove it Yeah. now. Yeah. And it's like, well, shut the fuck up. <laughs> it's like well you took this rape kit when it happened i know the, the and DNA it happens to match matches. this guy so yeah so i don't know i'm pretty sure we got him <laughs> <laughs> um statute of limitations had run out he agreed to plead guilty in exchange for the prosecutor taking the death penalty off of the table he was sentenced to 11 consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole he is currently incarcerated in corcoran california corcoran corcoran Well, it's definitely an interesting case. Yes, it is. It's complicated, but not nearly as complicated as you would think based on how long it took to fucking catch him. I know. (laughs) Well, he was right there. (laughs) You'd think every cop in California had previously been a cop in Ohio. (laughs) We took him Christmas shopping. 
never gonna fucking get over that. I will never. <laughs> and everyone listening is like, "What? what the hell? This is from a minisode. A we ta- what? <laughs> this is from a minisode where we were talking about an episode of Unsolved Mysteries where the cops in Ohio took a violent criminal Christmas shopping <laughs> unsupervised, <laughs> and somehow he, he escaped. escaped. <laughs> the thing." <laughs> I think the thing that drives me the craziest about this particular case is the sketches. And we've already talked about this Mm -hmm. a little bit, but like we did an episode on John List not too terribly long ago who got recognized from a aged up bust. It wasn't even a picture of him (laughs) from somebody who was like 10 states away from where he was. (laughs) And they're like, hey. That looks like John. Yeah, exactly. From church. <laughs> Some motherfucker in Colorado was like, hey, I've seen that guy. <laughs> and John Lewis got caught like 30 years or whatever the fuck it was afterward. But like, <laughs> these guys have sketches of this guy. They have more than one sketch. And he's a cop. I was, I was and like, no one can figure this the fuck out. Every cop apparently just walked around the station with their eyes closed <laughs> every day, spilling coffee all over the floor, walking into walls. I'm like, what are the cops in California doing? Why are you so awful? Every single one of you should feel ashamed. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a there's a lot to to process with this one not only the violence of the crimes and the sadisticness yeah sadism of of the of sadistic the, nature sadistic nature of the crimes uh is sadism sadistic yes okay i was like did i use that word wrong <laughs> no you were right um yeah the whole thing is just brutal and violent and awful and generally speaking He's a piece of shit. He is. He is a. He's a whole sack of dicks. A whole walking bag of dicks. Yeah. But there have been a lot of people who contributed to his capture. Yes. Probably most notably, I think, is Michelle McNamara, who is Patton Oswalt's. I don't want to say ex-wife. I would say former, former wife. Former wife, yeah. Um, who very sadly passed away, I think, in 2017 or yeah, 16. Yeah, she passed away before they caught him. And not long. Yeah, That's no. the worst part. <clears throat> and so much of her research helped the investigators. She was working with cops Yeah, at the time. She was, and a, a, on several occasions, even thought that she had found evidence of him because there was like a monogrammed cufflink that mm-hmm. she found in a yard sale that matched one that was linked to him and they thought that it would lead back to him it was it was just insane and if you haven't uh you should definitely read I'll be gone in the dark that's a great true crime book that Michelle sadly was unable to finish but it was finished using her notes by her husband Patton Oswalt um, and it was then turned into a, a really, really great docuseries on, I believe, Netflix. Um, it's HBO. Actually. HBO. Uh, excuse me. It was on HBO <coughs> called uh, I'll Be Gone in the Dark. And if you haven't watched it, you absolutely should. It's super, super interesting. It's very dark um, and does delve into Michelle's personal life, which is sadly necessary but in a weird way 
upsetting. <clears throat> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. No, I think because I uh, sadly she passed away from. Uh, I I hesitate to call it drug abuse, but it, I I guess that it's at its core that's really what it was. She was working so hard on this case and so adamantly and and uh, diligently that she was taking drugs to sustain her lifestyle and uh, sadly succumb to them but i think she'll always be remembered for the contribution that she made towards catching this disgusting piece of dick flesh um what do you think it is about this guy about the golden state killer Mm -hmm. that is so i I don't want to say prolific but I, I do suppose to an extent that's what it is. It's like everybody's heard of the Golden State Killer. Everybody knows this story. And everyone has been... Everyone who is a true crime story consumer knows about the Golden State Killer and has known about him for quite some time. Why do you think this is that story for people? I think it's very similar to the reason... <clears throat> excuse me. I think it's very similar to Richard Ramirez. Mm-hmm. I think it's that he hit more or less randomly. He went to people in their homes. He didn't care that they weren't alone. He kind of liked the fact that they weren't alone. Mm. Like, he's a scary motherfucker. Yeah. Like, what he did is terrifying. And I think anybody who consumes true crime media can sometimes rationalize, well, okay, that wouldn't happen to me because I'm not a sex worker. And I lock my doors. I don't hitchhike. Yeah. Or things like that. But with guys like Richard Ramirez and with Mr. D'Angelo, that doesn't matter. Yeah. Like, he's going to come to get you in your house and there's very little you can do to, to stop him. Yeah. If there's anything. If anything, exactly. So I think that one of the reasons why everybody knows who this guy is, is just, he's fucking scary. I know. You know, I'm so mad at myself for forgetting to ask this, but when we spoke to Jackie Beat, uh, I remember when Night Stalker came out, the docuseries, Mm -hmm. uh, she had commented on the fact that it was terrifying because she was in LA Mm -hmm. at the time. And I was like, oh, we need to bring this up. And I totally forgot. And I want to write her an email and be like, Jackie Pete, wait, one more thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, the the whole thing is just absolutely insane. And I think you're absolutely right that like it speaks to a universal fear that none of the people who were victimized by this piece of shit did anything wrong, so to speak. <clears throat> they weren't engaging in anything high risk. Yeah, they were just at home or going for a walk or yeah. whatever they were doing, going to bed. It was like, there was nothing... There was there was nothing they were doing that we can... That 
you know, all those awful people who like to do that can say, oh, you know, well, he had a gun in his hand. He did this. He did that. It's like all the, it's the same thing you see in the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, people love to say, oh, but he was doing this. He should have done this. He, he was doing that. And it's like <clears throat> people will always love to dissect a situation and come up with some bizarre reason why the person deserved what they got. But while I think that is also true of, of the people who have been uh, unfortunately symptomatic in, or in the black lives matter movement in this instance, there's just no, there's no explanation. There's no, no. explanation for <clears throat> why they were the, the recipient of this kind of violence and torture. And particularly then when you pile on top of it, the fact that a lot of his crimes were sexual assaults, mm-hmm. almost all of his crimes involved sexual assault. Like the stigma against that in the seventies, the, the, Oh, well you must have done something to deserve it. Yeah. Mentality was even stronger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, these poor women had it coming at them from several directions. I know. And and it is absolutely indicative of the time because you see you see people saying like, "Oh, what what did you do to deserve this kind of uh, attention from a man? You must have been involved in some kind of, you know, underground prostitution or drugs or alcohol or you must have lived a seedy life or you know and it's like well or you wore too short a skirt to the grocery store that day yeah (laughs) and and that is probably one of the most frustrating things about uh the stories surrounding true crime in the mid 20th century (laughs) and probably earlier although there are less stories i suppose um Something that I think really bothers me and something that I think deserves to be discussed, and it's something that obviously we have touched on a number of times here, is were it not for a very inventive idea, Yeah, he never would have been caught. No. This guy, would he would have gotten away with it. And there's something about that, A, that I think speaks to the last point. I think that's a part of why it's so prolific, is the fact that it was an unsolved case. It was a cold case. And it it is very reminiscent of the Zodiac. You know, when mm-hmm. you think about it, the Zodiac doesn't have that many confirmed kills. No. He takes credit for a lot, but yes. the con- the ones that have been confirmed are not that many. The thing that makes him so prolific is the fact that he was never caught. And I think were it not for the inventive idea of using, (laughs) you know, whatever the Ancestry website was that wasn't 23andMe, uh, Joseph D'Angelo would probably die in his home. Most likely. Why do you think the cops were so unable to pinpoint him. I mean, I do think a lot of it was, again, until 2001, they didn't even know that they were looking at the same guy for all of these cases. I Which is ridiculous to me. I, big I, part I, of it. I, I can't believe, and I mean that in the most literal way, not like, oh, I can't believe. I mean, like, I cannot believe that 
there's no indication to them that this was the same guy. I mean, some of it is, and we see this a lot in crimes that happened in the 60s and 70s, particularly, and earlier than that, is there just wasn't a lot of cooperation between, between police departments. Yeah. And there wasn't a lot of communication either. So them not having the information that something just like this happened, you know, 20 miles north of here or however many miles north of here. Mm-hmm. You can see why they didn't make the connection, but that doesn't make it okay. Okay. <laughs> like it's particularly just because if he just vanishes, like you would think the cops in the first place he was at, he just vanishes one day. Wouldn't you think, hey, he moved? Or, or hey, he maybe I should start reaching out to other people and saying, hey, we need some help on this one. Because it's <clears> like, <throat> people, I think, who consume true crime sometimes tend to forget the gravity of one singular murder. Yeah. One single murder is atrocious like it is not something that can just be forgotten it's it's not something that just goes away you know and that's why it's always shocking to me when you hear these stories of serial killers going on and on for decades it's like at some point the victims of uh, uh or the families of these victims must have just been losing their minds. I can't imagine why the police would not have tried everything. Why would you not have tried everything? And in so many instances, we hear stories about it coming down to pride or things just getting lost in the cracks or people are tired. And it's like, but this is your job. Like, imagine if, if, I was that bad at my job, you know? And there are lives on the line here. Yeah, when you think about the fact that Gary Ridgway murdered 71 people. Yeah. Like. Yeah. And in that instance, it was, I think, a a lot of it had to do with the fact that they were who they were. But Gary Ridgway is, of course, the person I was thinking of earlier, (laughs) the the Green River Killer. Um, And and he was very famously, he, he targeted sex workers. And... I I think that's probably how serial killers operate today. I, I wouldn't mean, be surprised. It has to be. People don't hitchhike anymore. People don't hitchhike anymore. It there is too much security. Yeah. For for it to be happening any other way. But we know that serial killers exist. We know that the psychology has not changed. No. And they go for the bottom, quote unquote, of the barrel. The people who are the most defenseless, the people who are the easiest to get rid of, who who they assume won't be missed, and who people will not go looking for because they're afraid to go to the police because they are sex workers and they're are all they're technically performing an illegal act. So you get this kind of weird situation happening where it's like crimes are being committed against the weakest among us. And uh, it's it's really kind of horrifying. <laughs> um, one other thing that you mentioned that kind of gave me pause was mm-hmm. the fact that in order to get him to confess, 
they cut him a deal. Yeah. I really don't know how I feel about this. Because on one hand, yes, we got him to confess. Well, we got him to plead guilty. To plead guilty. Which isn't Which is essentially the same thing. a confession. It's not legally the same thing. But it Glenn? is it is back, yeah back glenn, me up, glenn. glenn is like no it is not um <laughs> it is not the same thing legally but no. i think for all intents and purposes yeah it is a confession yes. at least to some extent do you think it's fair that they offered him that i think i know why they did it and the, the mm-hmm. answer is it comes down to money they had estimated that his his court proceedings would take 10 years and cost the city of L.A. $20 million. I mean, I've seen people spend $20 million on a lot of shittier things. Yeah. <laughs> and not even that long ago. Yeah, Someone wrote a dick into space. I think we could afford $20 million to put the fucking uh, Golden State Killer away. I think part of it as well was like really what they were trying to do is get the death penalty off the table Mm-hmm. And he was already 72 years old. So by the time you get him convicted, he's 82. By the time his appeals process runs out with the Supreme Court, he's already dead. <laughs> like, he'd have to be in his I mean, hundreds. So, like, the practical fact of the matter is that you were never going to execute A Joseph James D'Angelo. Man, yeah. Yeah. Like, no matter how it shook out, he was going to die before you could do it. He'd have to get in a car accident on the way to the prison. Yeah, exactly. You know? (laughs) Like, he's going to die in prison. I know. That's kind of the best we could have hoped for. He will probably die before he would have if he lived to be executed. Hmm. So it's, it's heartening to me in a way that they didn't really give him anything. Like, at the end of the day, taking the death penalty off the table, like, to what purpose? Like, between all the appeals and all the other shit, like, he was never going to get executed. Hmm. So, like, you may as well have let them keep the death penalty on the table because it wouldn't have mattered anyway. Yeah. But I, I mean, but I do suppose that it's a matter of incentive because even if you're in your 70s, nobody wants to be told that there's a chance they'll be taken out back tomorrow you know yeah uh it's such a hard thing to come to terms with though because it feels so it feels so soft and it's like why do these people who commit these awful atrocities always get like a soft ending you know i mean i wish i had an answer for you it's one of those things that we've also we've talked on here before about the fact that like I'm I've got a lot of conflicting feelings about the death penalty. I do too, to be fair. But like this guy fucking deserved it and there was no doubt that it was him. Yeah. He was tied by DNA to the crime. There was not it, it was not a question about whether or not Joseph DeAngelis or D'Angelo did this. Um, I, I think in as clear cut a case as this, yeah. there's a part of me that supports it 
because I I think that all of the victims' families and surviving loved ones deserved the opportunity to see him killed. Uh, or at least deserve to know that he's gone, you know? And I don't know how I would feel. I've never been in their shoes. I've never been in that position. So it's hard to say, does it feel better to know that he's in prison or to know that he was executed? You know, it, it's all speculative for me. Yeah. I think if, if I were them, I'd want to see him die. (laughs) (laughs) To be fair. I'm not, I'm not always 100% sure, but to be perfectly honest, like, if, if somebody killed, like, one of the five of us, mm-hmm. or, like, dad, or, like, any of my close friends, yeah, I'd want to see them fucking hang for it. Oh, yeah. Like. If not something more violent. And, like. I'd rent a wood chipper. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, there's. Obviously, there's a strong argument to be made that retribution is not the purpose of our criminal justice system. Mm-hmm. It is not the purpose of it's how we punish be, people. It's, yeah, supposed, it's supposed to be, to be rehabilitative. Yeah. But I do believe that there are things you can do in this life that warrant you being taken out of it. Yeah. And I think that what he did warrants it. I mean, how many dozens of people? Whose lives he ruined. Yeah. Yeah. We're not talking this was an accident. This was self-defense. This could have been self-defense. It could not be. Like, you were sneaking into people's homes and torturing them, assaulting them in some instances, murdering them, taunting the police, taunting the people who managed to survive your your assaults, and and going on and on for a decade. Like, you, you reveled in the torture you were inflicting on people. I think at that yeah. point you have forfeit your humanity. I agree. And I I think it could be argued that you never really had any to begin with. I'm willing to go with that. <laughs> I am. Um, got so dark. <laughs> it did get dark. My goodness. No, but like, I don't, I don't know. And again, we've talked about this before. Like, I'll be in favor of the death penalty wholly when we can absolutely be 100% sure that the people we are sentencing to death are the people who actually committed the crime. <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, when it is applied even slightly evenly between well, yeah. white people and people of color. And people of color, yeah. <laughs> like, and, uh, I mean, you know, generally speaking, I do consider myself to be against the death penalty, especially because of cases like Emmett Till and things like yeah. that. You know, there have been so many instances where we know the innocent person went to the chair or we know the innocent person was executed and... There's nothing you can do about it now. No. People who have been executed have been exonerated by DNA evidence, which we didn't have at the time. And for that reason, I am much more skeptical about the death penalty. But like I said before, in a in a case like this, like this case is so clear cut. How could you possibly like what what could the answer be if not this? I can't yeah. imagine. I don't think there is one. I mean, there is something to be said, and this is something that I don't know if we want to get in too into, but the ethics of how they caught him are also something to be considered. Do you think it was unethical? 
I think that it raises a question of privacy of privacy and how much control you have over your own DNA. Mm. Like if the cops can just steal a Kleenex out of your garbage can and try to link you to crimes, like there's no reason to believe that it couldn't be abused. It couldn't be manipulated. Mm. Like, I guess the only question I have is how far can DNA be manipulated? Because it seems like the only evidence that really can't be manipulated that much. Until you rub the Kleenex on the murder weapon. I mean, I suppose. I Yeah, I mean, in an instance like this where it was not used that way, it, it seems so... No, it's... It's complicated, but yeah. I, I don't, I'm not sad that they did it this way for this guy. In this instance. But it does raise some, ethical some questions. troubling ethical questions. Yeah, it definitely does. It does make you question things. And, you know, I'm one of those people, unfortunately, I am a product <laughs> of our father's brain because uh, I, I say unfortunately, but it really is a good thing, you know. Not that long ago, I was sick. You all mm-hmm. remember because I wasn't here. Um, and I had gone to a doctor's office and I had crossed out the parts of the the forms that said I would pay for anything that my insurance wouldn't. And the doctor's office, for the first time, I've been doing that. Dad taught us to do that as like children. He was like, always read what you're signing and always cross out anything that, you know, mm-hmm. can be used against you. And... uh the doctor's for the first time since I've been doing that, the doctor's office objected (laughs) and they were like, you have to sign this form. And I was like, no, I don't. And I was like, I, I, I don't want any services to be performed that my insurance will not cover. And they were like, well, we don't know what your insurance will cover until we bill them. And I was like, well, that's not my problem. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I had to have it out with the doctor's office and be like, And I said to them, I was like, listen, I'm not trying to be a pain in the ass. I've been in situations where I didn't sign this and it came back to haunt me. And I was like, I'm not going to do that this time. Whatever, whatever you do is up to you, but I'm giving you this form as is. And they ended up doing everything that I needed them to do. And it was fine. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like. You really do. I think a lot of people don't realize how important it is to be aware of what you're signing away. You know, it comes back to the Apple terms and conditions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all we all agree and click send, but you know, for all we know, it says that they own your children and they're going to turn your car into a death machine. We have no idea. No one's ever read it except dad. Dad's the only person who knows what it says there. I don't even think Apple knows what it says. Um, and, and so you do, there's always that part of me that goes, well, why would they do that? But then I've been the recipient when someone has used it against me and it's like, well, I guess you got to be careful then. Yeah, I guess that's, that's a PSA for today. That's the PSA. Don't do anything stupid. Um, and don't sign anything without reading it. And I don't think a lot of people realize that they can modify something before they sign it. Like, you can cross things out and initial them. You can mm-hmm. do that. It's You're signing a legal document. You, do, you don't 
just have to agree to everything. You cross out what you want, initial it, give it back, and if they have a problem, then they'll send you a new one. Dad is somewhere just like clapping his hands <laughs> and dancing. I know it. Somewhere in the universe, Dad is standing there. Giddy. I love how we're talking about him like he's not here anymore. Like, no, I mean, somewhere in the universe is somewhere in New Jersey. Yeah, I was gonna um, say. He is still like very much alive. You make it sound like he's like up in the clouds somewhere. No, like, yeah. he is standing on the ground somewhere in New Jersey, <laughs> clapping and, and singing. He's, he's, it's like Sister Act. He's like, oh, happy day. Uh, are we forgetting anything about the Golden State Killer? I don't think so. I think we got it all. I think we nailed it. If you want a more comprehensive understanding of the Golden State Killer, I would definitely recommend reading I'll Be Gone in the Dark and watching the docuseries that was made on HBO Max. Yeah, I think so. HBO Max, which I believe was one of the things they used to sell HBO Max. Isn't that crazy? I just realized that. I forgot that that was like David and I got HBO Max so that we could watch I'll Be Gone in the Dark. Huh. Huh. Uh, yeah, so definitely check out I'll Be Gone in the Dark, the book by Michelle McNamara and the docuseries on HBO Max. We will be back next week. And I am so fucking excited to say that we will be back beginning the 13 weeks of Halloween. It is Halloween today. Today is Halloween. <laughs> And it is Halloween time, and we are back in Halloween. Fuck the summer. Take your 80 degrees and stick it up your ass. We are done. No more sand and beaches. It is it is pumpkin spice lattes and sweater weather, and we are here. So welcome to August. 13 weeks of Halloween begins next week right here on My Spooky Gay Family. I am excited as shit, and I cannot wait. We will be back uh on Monday on patreon.com slash my spooky gay family with another mini sode. We are, and I'll let you know here if you have not yet subscribed to our mini sodes, we are watching and reviewing during the 13 weeks of Halloween episodes of The Simpsons Treehouse of Horror. So uh, feel free to swing on by Patreon and join us if you'd like to listen to our minisodes. Otherwise, you can catch us right here wherever you are listening next week or on YouTube. We are releasing all of our uh, previous episodes on YouTube as well. Please go like and subscribe on YouTube. It will help us out a lot uh, and we appreciate it. So Until the 13 weeks of Halloween, stay spoopy and remember. I'm still always just taken aback at how many survivors like us are out there who feel their case isn't ever going to be resolved. And they think they won't ever get to do the sentencing hearing. I feel like every victim deserves justice if it can be had. And I hope that they can find peace and resolution because eventually that translates into a societal change. 
My Spooky Gay Family features music by Nate Walker, artwork by David Alon, and this episode contains clips from I'll Be Gone in the Dark, distributed by HBO 2021. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, leave us a nice message, and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Patreon, and YouTube. My Spooky Gay Family is a product of Barbara Duel Productions. Barbara.